Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow, here to tell you about my Giza Dream bed sheets. I made sure that they would be everything you'd ever want in a sheet set. I started with the world's finest cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all meet. The long staple cotton makes my Giza Dream sheets ultra soft and durable. They come with extra wide pillowcases to fit over any pillow and extra deep pockets to fit over any mattress. Not only that, they come with my 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And now you can get the best sheets ever for the best price ever. When you buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheet sets, you'll get another one absolutely free. I personally guarantee that they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Specials for the buy one, get one free offer on Giza Sheets. All you got to do, Renegade Nation, is enter the promo code RENEGADE or call 1-800-889-6817 for these great specials. That's 1-800-889-6817. Use the promo code RENEGADE. Please be aware the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix. And together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night. Frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries. But I promise, all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's Dark Enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well... I got an interesting request. Just a story about the islands of Hawaii. Now, I'm going to assume that it's because I have such a horrible time pronouncing native Hawaiian names. And, well, basically, that's just going to be hilarious. But you know, I aim to please. So, here is your one story about Hawaii. One caveat, though. With that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and, well, have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours. So choose your poison accordingly. All right, now for the game part. How about every time I say, Kiwalu, that will be a single shot. And every time I say, world, I know you were hoping for something a little bit more Hawaiian, so it'd be funny. We're going to get there, I promise. World, that's going to be a double shot. All right, now that we have the business end out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's Dark Enigma. So, don your best grass skirt, your best and loudest Hawaiian shirt, or coconut bra, whichever, and you better have a bright lay to go with it. As we jump into today's offering of The Bride from the Underworld or A Legend of the Kalakaua Family. I know I got that first one right, but I promise you the screw ups are coming. Ku, one of the most widely known gods of the Pacific Ocean, was thought by the Hawaiians to have dwelt as a mortal for some time on the western side of the Big Island, Hawaii. 
Here, he chose a chiefess by the name of Hina for his wife. And to them were born two children. When he withdrew from his residence among men, he left a son on the uplands of the district of North Kona and a daughter on the seashore of the same district. The son, here it comes, Hikui Kanahele, I hope I didn't do that too bad, I apologize, which is Hiku of the forest, lived with his mother. The daughter, Kiwalu, dwelt under the care of guardian chiefs and priests by a temple, the ruined walls of which are standing even to this very day. Here she was carefully protected and perfected in all arts pertaining to the very high chiefs. Hiku of the forest was not accustomed to go to the sea. His life was developed among the forests along the western slopes of the great mountains of Hawaii. Here he learned the wisdom of his mother and of the chiefs and priests under whose care he was placed. To him were given many of the supernatural powers of his father. His mother guarded him from the knowledge that he had a sister and kept him from going to the temple by the side of which where she had her home. Hiku was proficient in all the feats of manly strength and skill upon which chiefs of the highest rank prided themselves. None of the chiefs of the inland districts could compare with him in symmetry of form, beauty of countenance, and skill in manly sports. The young chief noted the sounds of the forest and the rushing winds along the sides of the mountains. Sometimes, like storm voices, he heard from far off the beat of the surf along the coral reef. One day, he heard a noise like the flapping of the wings of many birds. He looked toward the mountain, but no multitude of his feathered friends could be found. Again, the same sound awakened his curiosity. He now learned that it came from the distant seashore far below his home on the mountain side. Hiku of the forest called his mother, and together they listened as again the strange sound from the beach rose along the mountain gulches and was echoed among the cliffs. Ihiku, said his mother, that is the clapping of the hands of a large number of men and women. The people who live by the sea are very much pleased and are expressing their great delight in some wonderful deed of a great chief. Day after day, the rejoicing of the people was heard by the young chief. At last, he sent a trusty retainer to learn the cause of the tumult. The messenger reported that he had found certain taboo surf waters of the Kona beach and had seen a very high chiefess who alone played with her surfboard on the incoming waves. Her beauty surpassed that of any other among the people, and her skill in riding the surf was wonderful, exceeding that of any one whom the people had ever seen. Therefore, the multitude gathered from near and far to watch the marvelous deeds of the beautiful woman. Their pleasure was so great that when they clapped their hands, the sound was like the voices of many thunderstorms. The young chief said he must go down and see this beautiful maiden. The mother knew that this chiefess of such great beauty must be Kiwalu, the sister of Haiku. She feared that trouble would come to Kiwalu if her more powerful brother should find her and take her in marriage, as was the custom among the people. 
The omens which had been watched concerning the children in their infancy had predicted many serious troubles, but the young man could not be restrained. He was determined to see this wonderful woman. He sent his people to gather the nuts of the kukui, or candle nut tree, and crush out the oil and prepare it for anointing his body. He had never used a surfboard, but he commanded his servants to prepare the best one that could be made. Down to the seashore, Haiku went with his retainers, down to the taboo place of the beautiful Kualu. He anointed his body with the kiku oil until it glistened like the polished leaves of trees. Then, taking his surfboard, he went boldly to the taboo surf waters of his sister. The people stood in amazed silence, expecting to see speedy punishment meted out to the daring stranger. But the gods of the sea favored Hiku. Hiku had never been to the seaside and had never learned the arts of those who were skillful in the waters. Nevertheless, as he entered the water, he carried the surfboard more royally than any chief the people had ever known. The sunlight shone in splendor upon his polished body when he stood on the board and rode to the shore on the crest of the highest surf waves, performing wonderful feats by his magic power. The joy of the multitude was unbounded, and a mighty storm of noise was made by the clapping of their hands. Kiwalu and her maidens had left the beach before the coming of Haiku and were resting in their grass houses in a grove of coconut trees near the Hiayu. Yeah, I screwed that one up. I try. When the great noise made by the people aroused her, she sent one of her friends to learn the cause of such rejoicing. When she learned that an exceedingly handsome chief of the highest rank was sporting among her taboo waters, she determined to see him. So, calling her maidens, she went down to the seashore and first saw Hiku on the highest crest of the rolling surf. She decided at once that she had never seen a man so comely. And Hiku, surf riding to the shore, felt that he had never dreamed of such grace and beauty as marked the maiden who was coming to welcome him. When Kiwalu came near, she took the wreath of rare and fragrant flowers which she wore and coming close to him threw it around his shoulders as a token to all the people that she had taken him to be her husband. Then the joy of the people surpassed all the pleasure of all the days before, for they looked upon the two most beautiful beings they had ever seen and believed that these two would make glad each other's lives. Thus Hiku married his sister Kiwalu, according to the custom of that time, because she was the only one of all the people equal to him in rank and beauty, and he alone was fitted to stand in her presence. For a long time they lived together, sometimes sporting amongst the highest white crests of storm-tossed surf waves, sometimes enjoying the guessing and gambling games in which the Hawaiians of all times have been very expert, sometimes chanting meles and genealogies and telling marvelous stories of sea and forest, and sometimes feasting and resting under the trees surrounding their grass houses. Hiku at last grew weary of the life by the sea. He wanted the forest on the mountain and the cold, stimulating air of the uplands, but he did not wish to take his sister-wife with him. Perhaps the omens of their childhood had revealed danger to Kiwalu if she left her home by the sea. 
Whenever he tried to steal away from her, she would rush to him and cling to him, persuading him to wait for new sports and joys. One night, Hiku rose up very quietly and passed out into the darkness. As he began to climb toward the uplands, the leaves of the trees rustled loudly in welcome. The night birds circled him and hastened him on his way. But Kiwalu was awakened. She called for Hiku. Again and again she called, but Hiku had gone. She heard his footsteps as his eager tread shook the ground. She heard the branches breaking as he forced his way through the forests. Then she hastened after him, and her plaintive cries was louder and clearer than the voices of the night birds. E Hiku return, E Hiku return, oh my love, wait for Kiwalu. Hiku goes up the hills, very hard is this hill, O oh Hiku, O oh Hiku, my beloved. But Hiku, by his magic power, sent thick fogs and mists around her. She was blinded and chilled, but she heard the crashing of the branches and ferns as Hiku forced his way through them, and she pressed on, still calling, Ihuku, beloved, return to Kiwalu. Then the young chief threw the long, flexible vines of the ee down into the path. They twined around her feet and made her stumble as she tried to follow him. The rain was falling all around her, and the way was very rough and hard. She slipped and fell again and again. The ancient chant connected with the legend says, Hiku is climbing up the hill, branches and vines are in the way, and Kiwalu is begging him to stop. Raindrops are walking on the leaves, the flowers are beaten to the ground, hopeless the quest, but Kiwalu is calling, Ihiku beloved, let us go back together. Her tears mingled with the rain streamed down her cheeks. The storm wet and destroyed the kappa mantle which she had thrown around her as she hurried from her home after Hiku. In rags, she tried to force her way through the tangled undergrowth of the uplands, but as she crept forward, step by step, she stumbled and fell again into the cold, wet arms of the ferns and grasses. Then the vines crept up around her legs and her arms and held her, but she tore them loose and forced her way upward, still calling. She was bleeding where the rough hands of the forest had torn her delicate flesh. She was bru so bruised and sore from the blows which the branches had showered upon her that she could scarcely creep under them. At last, she could no longer hear the retreating footsteps of Hiku. Then, chilled and desolate and deserted, she gave up in despair and crept back to the village. There she crawled into the grass house where she had been so happy with her brother Hiku, intending to put an end to her life. The ee vines held her arms and legs, but she partially disentangled herself and wound them around her head and neck. Soon the tendrils grew tight and slowly but surely choked the beautiful chiefess to death. This was the first suicide in the records of Hawaiian mythology. As the body gradually became lifeless, the spirit crept upward to the luahani, the door by which it passed out of the body into the spirit world. This spirit door is the little hole in the corner of the eye. Out of it the spirit is thought to creep slowly as the body becomes cold in death. The spirit left the cold body a prisoner to the tangled vines and slowly and sadly journeyed to Milu, the underworld home of the ghosts of the departed. 
The lust of the forest had taken possession of Hiku. He felt the freedom of the swift birds who had been his companions in many an excursion until the heavily shaded into the heavily shaded depths of the forest jungles. He plunged with abandon into the whirl and rush of the storm winds, which he had called to his aid to check Kiwalu. He was drunk with the atmosphere which he had breathed throughout his childhood and young manhood. When he thought of Kiwalu, he was sure that he had driven her back to her home by the temple, where he could find her when once more he should seek the seashore. He had only purposed to stay a while on the uplands and then return to his sister-wife. His father, the god Ku, had been watching him, and had also seen the suicide of the beautiful Kiwalu. He saw the spirit pass down to the kingdom of Milu, the home of the ghosts. Then he called Hiku and told him how heedless and thoughtless he had been in his treatment of Kiwalu, and how in despair she had taken her life, the spirit going to the underworld. Hiku, the child of the forest, was overcome with grief. He was ready to do anything to atone for the suffering he had caused Kiwalu and repair the injury. Ku told him that only by the most daring effort could he hope to regain his loved bride. He could go to the underworld, meet the ghosts, and bring his sister back. But this could only be done at very great risk to himself, for if the ghosts discovered and captured him, they would punish him with severest torments and destroy all hope of returning to the upper world. Hiku was determined to search the land of Milu and find the bride and bring her back to his Kona home by the sea. Ku agreed to aid him with the mighty power which he had as a god. Nevertheless, it was absolutely necessary that Hiko should descend alone and by his own wit and skill secure the ghost of Kiwalu. Hiko prepared a coconut shell full of oil made from decayed kukui nuts. This was very vile and foul-smelling. Then he made a long, stout rope of ii vines. Ku knew where the door to the underworld was, though through which human beings could go down. This was a hole near the seashore in the valley of Waiapio, on the eastern coast of the island. Ku and Hiku went to Waiapio, descended the precipitous walls of the valley, and found the door to the pit of Milu. Milu was the ruler of the underworld. Hiku rubbed his body all over with the rancid kukui oil, and then gave the ii vine into the keeping of his father to hold fast while he made his descent into the world of the spirits of the dead. Slowly Ku let the vine down, until the last he, till at last Hiku stood in the strange land of Milu. No one noticed his coming, and so for a little while he watched the ghosts, studying his best method of finding Kiwalu. Some of the ghosts were sleeping. Some were gambling and playing the same games they had loved so well while living in the upper world. Others were feasting and visiting around the poi bowl as they had formerly been accustomed to do. Hiku knew that the strong odor of the rotten oil would be his best protection, for none of the spirits would want to touch him and so would not discover that he was flesh and blood. Therefore he rubbed his body once more thoroughly with the oil and disfigured himself with dirt. As he passed from place to place searching for Kiwalu, the ghost said, What a bad-smelling spirit. So they turned away from him as if he was one of the most unworthy ghosts dwelling in Milu. In the realm of Milu, he saw the people in the game of rolling coconut shells to hit a post. Kalokulioi 
one of the spirits had been playing the kilu and had lost all his property to the daughter of Malu and one of her friends. He saw Hiku and said, If you are a skillful man, perhaps you should play with these two girls. Hiku replied, I have nothing. I have only come this day and I'm alone. Kaloya bet his bones against some of the property he had lost. The first girl threw her cup at the kilu post and Hiku chanted, Are you known by Papa and Wakia? Oh, eyelashes or rays of the sun. Mine is the cup of kilu. Her cup did not touch the kilu post before Haiku. She threw again, but did not touch, while Hiku chanted the same words. They took a new cup, but failed again. Hiku commenced swinging the cup and threw. It glided and twisted around on the floor and struck the post. This counted five and won the first bet. Then he threw the cup number 20, won all the property, and gave it back to Kalui. At last he found Kiwalu, but she was by the side of the high chief Milu, who had seen the beautiful princess as she came into the underworld. More glorious was Kiwalu than any other of all those of noble blood who had ever descended to Milu. The ghosts had welcomed the spirit of the princess while great rejoicing, and the king had called her at once to the highest place in his court. She had not been long with the chiefs of Milu before they asked her to sing or chant her melee. The melee was the family song by which any chief made known his rank and the family with which he was connected whenever he visited chiefs far away from his own home. Haiku heard the chant and mingled with the multitude of ghosts gathered around the place where the high chiefs were welcoming the spirit of Kiwalu. While Haiku and Kualo had been living together, one of their pleasures was composing and learning to intone a chant which no other among either mortals or spirits should know besides themselves. While Kiwalu was singing, she introduced her part of this chant. Suddenly, from among the throngs of ghosts, arose the sound of a clear voice chanting the response, which was known by no other person but Haiku. Kiwalu was overcome by the thought that perhaps Haiku was dead and was now among the ghosts, but did not dare to incur the, ha the hatred of King Milu by making himself known. Or perhaps Haiku had endured many dangers of the lower world by coming even in human form to find her, and therefore must remain concealed. The people around the king, seeing her grief, were not surprised when she threw a mantle around herself and left them to go away alone into the shadows. She wandered from place to place among the groups of ghosts, looking for Hiku. Sometimes she softly chanted her part of the melee. At last she was again answered and was sure that Hiku was near, but the only one very close was a foul-smelling, dirt-covered ghost, from whom she was turning away in despair. Hiku, in a low tone, warned her to be very careful and not recognize him, but assured her that he had come in person to rescue her and take her back to her old home where her body was then laying. He told her to wander around and yet to follow him until they came to the ee vine, which he had left hanging from the hole which opened to the upper world. When Hiku came to the place where the vine was hanging, he took hold to see if Ku, his father, was still carefully guarding the other end to pull him up when the right signal should be given. Having made, sure, made himself sure of the aid of the god, he tied the end of the vine into a strong loop and seated himself in it. Then he began to swing back and forth, back and forth, sometimes rising and sometimes checking himself, and resting with his feet on the ground. 
Kiwalu came near and begged to be allowed to swing, but Hika would only consent on the condition that she would sit on his lap. The ghosts thought that this would be an excellent arrangement and shouted their approval of the new sport. Then Hiku took the spirit of Kiwalu in his strong arms and began to swing slowly back and forth, then more and more rapidly, higher and higher, until the people marveled at the wonderful skill. Meanwhile, he gave the signal to Ku to pull them up. Almost imperceptibly, the swing receded from the spirit world. All this time, Hiku had been gently and lovingly rubbing the spirit of Kiwalu and softly uttering charm after charm, so that while they were swaying in the air, she was growing smaller and smaller. Even the chiefs of Milu had been attracted to this unusual sport and had drawn near to watch the wonderful skill of the strange, foul-smelling ghost. Suddenly it dawned upon some of the beholders that the vine was being drawn up to the upper world. Then the cry arose, He is stealing the woman, he is stealing the woman. The underworld was in a great uproar of noise. Some of the ghosts were leaping as high as they could, others were calling for Hiku to return, and others were uttering charms to cause his downfall. No one could leap high enough to touch Hiku, and the power of all the charms was defeated by the god Ku, who rapidly drew the vine upward. Hiku succeeded in charming the ghost of Kiwalu into the coconut shell which he still carried. Then stopping the opening tight with, with his fingers so that the spirit could not escape him, brought Kiwalu back, back into the land of mortals. With the aid of Ku, the steep precipices surrounding Waiapayo Valley were quickly scaled and the journey made to the temple by the taboo surf waters of Kona. Here the body of Kiwalu had been lying in state. Here the awi, or morning chant, of the retinue of the dead princess could be heard from afar. He could pass through the throngs of mourners, carefully guarding his precious coconut, until he came to the feet, cold and stiff in death. Kneeling down, he placed a small hole in the end of the shell against the tender spot in the bottom of one of the cold feet. The spirits of the dead must find their way back, little by little, through the body, from the feet to the eyes from which they must depart when they bid final farewell to this world. To try to send the spirit back into the body by placing it in the luahani, or the door of the soul, would be to have it where it had to depart from the body rather than enter it. Hiku removed his finger from the hole in the coconut and uttered the incantations which would allure the ghost into the body. Little by little, the soul of Kiwalu came back. And the body grew warm from the feet upward, until at last the eyes opened and the soul looked out upon the blessed life restored to it by the skill and bravery of Hiku. No more troubles arose to darken the lives of the children of Ku. Whether in the forest or by the sea, they made the days pleasant for each other until at the appointed time together they entered the shades of Milu as chief and chiefess, who could not be separated." It is said that the generations of their children gave many rulers to the Hawaiians, and that the present royal family, the house of Kalakua, is the last of their descendants. And with that, my darlings, we have come to the end of our episode. I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope that you'll take a little time to reach out and share your thoughts on today's episode. You can always reach me and the, the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you want to share your thoughts about today's episode, you just want to chat with somebody, drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note... 
That's all the time I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And you guessed it. Don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.